Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by coronatools.com, the nation's leader in garden and landscaping tools. Listeners of The Organic View can receive 20% off their coronatools.com purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom and I are going to talk to Mr. Peter Jenkins from the Center for Food Safety in regards to breaking news regarding a decision by the federal court that ruled that the EPA systematically violated the Endangered Species Act. So I'd like to welcome to the show Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, Joan. I'm looking forward to this conversation with Peter. I know you are. And our guest today, Mr. Peter Jenkins. Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show today, Peter. You've been on the show numerous times, and it's always great to have you on. Before we begin, could you take a moment to just share with the listeners a little bit about what the Center for Food Safety does and some of the issues that you're working on? Um, Yeah, sure. We um, have been dedicated for the last 20 years to uh, identifying problems and issues that come up in our food system as far as impacts on humans and the environment from new technologies, from chemicals, from pesticides. We strongly promote organic and sustainable agriculture as an alternative to um, pesticide and chemical-heavy agriculture. Thank you. Peter, can you share with our listeners about the history of this suit? Who is involved, and how long have you been working on this case? Uh, That's a good question, June. Uh, This case really uh, goes back to my beginning of my involvement with the neonicotinoid issue, which I think your listeners should be familiar with generally, but, you know, the... uh, I was brought on about five years ago, more than five years ago, to... Uh, dig into the neonics, as we call them, and to see what the effects uh, on on uh, the environment are, as well as especially the effects on honeybees, essential pollinators. So uh, working with a, a number of coalition partners, we dug in, and in 2012, thanks, in, in fact, to some of the early investigative work that Tom Theobald and others had done, we we put together a petition to EPA uh, describing the problems, with, particularly with clothianidin and the lack of a um, pollinator field test, a valid test of the effects of clothianidin on honeybees and other pollinators. We described that in a petition. We said that there was an imminent hazard and that EPA needed to suspend the registration of clothianidin. Um, and we had uh, many arguments in that petition, uh, a lot of um, good scientific evidence and so on. But um, then uh, when EPA denied that petition in 2013, we um, sued uh, EPA. And that's that's the case has finally been resolved <laughs> four years later, and that's what uh, you're interviewing me about, I believe. <laughs> 
Peter, from what I understand, EPA granted approval for 59 pesticide products and registrations, including many seed treatments that were to be that were approved to be used on various crops. What happens now, especially since some of these products may have already been used by farmers? Yeah. Um, well, let me explain a little bit more about the, the 59 products that you mentioned. Um, as I said, we sued in 2013. We finally have a decision. It's taken four years because of procedural obstacles that have been raised by EPA and um, the pesticide industry, in particular Bayer and Syngenta and CropLife, also Valent. Um, they have all jumped in and, and tried to slow this case down. But So the decision two days ago uh, by the district court judge, um, uh, Maxine Chesney in, in San Francisco uh, basically came down to the fact that um, while there were some other issues that she did not rule for us on, she totally agreed with us as far as 59 products being in violation of the Endangered Species Act. We actually said there were 71 products, but due to some procedural problems and other issues with respect to the other 12 products, um, uh, she dismissed those from our uh, case and focused in on the 59 products. And as you said, they cover a wide range of uses um, and said that the EPA had violated the Endangered Species Act and its approval of those products. So that's where we're at. Um, the judge has ruled um, that EPA violated the law. And she's asked the parties to come together and uh, propose some ideas for remedies. And this is where it's going to get interesting. Um, she's asked the party to con parties to consider settlement and also to consider a briefing schedule where we can brief the judge on different remedy options for this violation. And those options could include suspension or cancellation of the 59 different pesticides, and that's uh, sort of going to be our starting point. That's what we asked for in the complaint. That's um, the sensible thing to do when the law is violated. You you have to the agency action has to be um, you know considered invalid and suspended. Peter, this is Tom. A practical question that I would have is, how long will it take for the for the two parties to decide? what they're going to propose as remediation, and when are those meetings likely to start occurring? Well, um, Tom, I, I uh, would remind you that actually, unfortunately, there's more than two parties because, uh, you know, we initially sued EPA, but then into the case came what are called the interveners, where the pesticide industry, Bayer, Syngenta, CropLife, they were able to join in. And while they're mostly on EPA's side, they actually have independent standing uh, as parties. So there's really us against uh, EPA and, and these industry groups. So how long is that going to take? Um, well, we have a, a few weeks by which the judge has told us to enter into these settlement possibility discussions. And if we can't figure that out, then to brief the judge on remedies. And we anticipate that that's likely to happen over the next few months, the briefing, and then the judge uh, would decide on what's the correct remedy. 
Peter, what does this mean for the future of beekeeping? The commercial migratory beekeepers have been having such a hard time keeping their operations going. Do you think that this will help them in the future, especially as they are are trying to continue their operations? Some of these folks have been keeping bees for multi-generations and have unfortunately had to close shop. Yeah, I understand. Well, that was the motivation for the case. And you remember this case started in 2012, this petition that had Tom and, and the other beekeepers who were plaintiffs in the case, plus about 20 other beekeepers who did not wind up being plaintiffs. But they were all petitioners, uh, beekeepers from all over the country who were worried about it. And, and we focused in on clothianidin. We really tried to convince EPA that they should protect these beekeepers by declaring that clothianidin was an imminent hazard to the beekeeping uh, community. And we laid out the information that we had back in 2012 about that imminent hazard, and we tried to supplement that uh, initial petition with additional information as it came in. So unfortunately, EPA did not consider the supplemental information, and we were not able to convince the judge in San Francisco that EPA uh, violated the law in denying that there was an imminent hazard. The judge deferred to EPA as the so-called expert agency to make the determination on imminent hazard. And um, as EPA had denied it that there was an imminent hazard, the judge um, didn't find it within her power to uh, overturn that decision. So we're very disappointed that we weren't able to, you know, use clothianin in a sort of a test um, chemical to convince a federal judge that EPA should find an imminent hazard. Um, so we can't provide immediate relief to the beekeepers in that way. However, the order from the judge to um, uh, to, to EPA that uh, the judges found that EPA viola violated the law in approving those 59 pesticides, a very important law, uh, which may lead to uh, possible suspension or cancellation of those 59 products. That is going to help beekeepers if the judge goes uh, that far because uh, many of those products are the very ones that are harming beekeepers, in particular the seed coating products, but the whole array of um, ornamental, turf, uh, tree, um, you name it, the, those kind of products are all included within the 59 products that the judge um, found were issued in violation of the Endangered Species Act. So if we can get some relief with respect to those products down the road, that's going to help uh, not just beekeepers, but everybody who's affected by those products. And, um, you know, and Tom and June, everybody knows that commercial beekeepers are suffering mightily from neonics and other pesticides and other concerns as well, all in combination. But uh, we're also very concerned about the other environmental effects of um, these products, and we're going to stress that to the judge, of course, and, and to EPA down the road, period. So, for example, um, uh, there's just tremendous, terrible new information about water contamination happening from these very same products, and that water contamination, of course, will affect threatened and endangered species who depend on our water systems, freshwater in particular. But um, uh, So we're going to highlight those concerns to the judge and try to get protections for uh, aquatic species, for the wild pollinators, the wild bumblebees, and the, and the butterflies. Those are all... 
very much affected by these same insecticides and probably have less protection than your commercial honeybees. So we need to keep those in mind, too. A uh, huge concern. Do you think that there is a possibility that the United States will push through a full ban on neonicotinoids? At some point, oh, that's a very good, very good question. You know, it, 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 you would have said um, a few years ago that that sounded like it was, you know, uh, pie in the sky. But um, in Europe, where they have issued a pretty sweeping ban—not a complete ban, but a, a, a pretty sweeping ban on use of the neonics on major bee-attracting crops—that um, uh, ban that was promulgated in 2013, went into effect in 2015, is now up for renewal, and it looks like it's likely to be renewed and possibly possibly even broadened in Europe. And in Canada, where um, the Pesticide Management Regulation Agency in Canada has traditionally fairly much gone in uh, lockstep with EPA, and they have tended to do things very similarly, yet that Organization Canada, PMRA, has proposed to actually phase out the oldest and most broadly used of the neonics, imidacloprid. They're phasing it out because of these water contamination concerns that I identified. Now, that decision isn't final yet, but we think that PMRA is going gonna, is gonna to eventually take imidacloprid off the market over the next few years, which is a good decision. And they've got their sights on clothianid and, and thymethoxam next in their proposal, they're going to take a closer look at those two. And now, uh, if all that is happening in Europe and Canada, uh, it seems crazy that uh, it's not under serious consideration in the United States. Thank you, Peter. As we're talking, I'm thinking back to several years ago, a conversation that I had with Jeff Anderson, who's a commercial beekeeper from Minnesota. And up to that point, the beekeepers had been fighting these battles virtually alone, and we were being misused and abused by the regulatory system and and we were just being beaten into the ground jeff called one day and said tom what do you think about reaching out to some of the ngos and the environmental organizations and the reason he asked was that in the beekeeping community those groups were held with a certain amount of skepticism they weren't really sure they wanted to align themselves with uh, with those groups and i Steve and I had a probing conversation, and I said, look, Steve, I think we should, and we did. And this court decision is an outgrowth of that collaboration, and I just want to thank all the people, Peter and his his contemporaries and all the people in the NGOs who have helped us fight this battle. We may not be winning to the degree that we want to be, but we would be gone were it not for their help. And these court decisions, while they may not satisfy our every objective, are a huge foot in the door. And it's going to be very interesting to see what comes of them. Yeah. So I just well, want to you, thank you. Recall, thank you so much, Tom. That's much appreciated. And you recall uh, three years ago now that the Sulfoxiflor case was brought by the beekeepers working closely with Earth Justice, and we were supporting Earth Justice on that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunity for collaboration between the beekeepers and the environmental community, obviously, because beekeepers have their bees out there in the environment, and they need a clean, safe environment for their bees, just as we need it for our food and for our people, but, uh, you know, our kids and everybody like that. So what uh, also I was going to say, um, the exciting thing for us is that 
for the new petition that we filed um, just with EPA last week to change the treated article exemption so that the coated seeds, the seeds that are coated with these neonic pesticides that are killing bees and contaminating the water, so those are brought under actual regulation and enforceable labeling instead of being exempted from the pesticide law, which is the case now. What I was going to say is that uh, American Honey Producers Association, ABF, the American Beekeeping Federation, and Pollinator Stewardship Council have all joined on to that petition, so um, we seem to be able to work closely with them. That's great. Peter, I have one other question. I don't know if you have an answer for this, but I'm just curious. What is the process for industry to dispose of these products, especially knowing that some of them have a half-life of up to 19 years? There are um, processes for disposing of uh, pesticide products that have been uh, taken off the market or otherwise determined to be um, uh, not usable. And those involve hazardous waste uh, laws and, and special provisions of the pesticide law. It's, it's, it's done, and it has been done um, many times. Uh, I can't describe all the details of exactly how it's done, but EPA does have regulations and detailed rules for disposing of pesticides, uh, including ones that have been terminated because of a legal order and a determination by EPA that they have to be taken off the market. So... Um, we're not too concerned that that can't be done, but it does have to be phased in over time if that's the determination uh, in this case involving the 59 products. In other words, those products are being sold now. Uh, it's unlikely that they're all going to be immediately taken off the shelves, but one can phase in a um, removal of products from, uh, from the market, and it's been done by EPA. Thank you, Peter. Yes, thank you, Peter. Peter, I want to just say congratulations on your victory and for all of the work that you do. It's it's tremendous. And as Tom said before, the work that the Center for Food Safety does is so beneficial to everyone. And I hope that as you continue having victory after victory, you will make time to come back on the show and share these success stories with us. But in the interim, could you share with our listeners your website? And folks, please support their efforts. There's so many things that they're involved with. We can't stress enough how important their work is. Oh, well, thanks, June. That's great. Uh, your support is much appreciated, and the website is www.centerforfoodsafety.org. Thank you, Peter. Tom, each week I receive so many emails from people that are just finding out about the work that we've been doing over the course of the last how many years we've been doing this program. And some of these folks don't quite understand what neonicotinoids are, much less their impact and why they pose such a threat. So could you take a moment to explain what exactly neonicotinoids are and why there's such a big concern to beekeepers such as yourself? That's a broad subject, June. Uh, basically, I've I've made the comparison of the neonicotinoids to DDT, which most people are familiar with. And one of the characteristics, well, there are several characteristics of the neonicotinoids. And the neonicotinoids are 
chlorinated nicotine compounds, and they are water-soluble. They have half-lives of years. Their effect on their neurotoxins and their effect on the nervous system, the synapses, is cumulative and irreversible, and as a consequence, there is no safe dose. And they are the most widely used pesticides in history. Uh, in terms of their toxicity, we hear a lot about how much safer they are, that they target synapses, which insects have a lot of, and mammals, including people, have relatively few. But what you aren't told is that they're five to 10,000 times more toxic to those lower level life forms than DDT. And they're being put on the earth, the environment, and enormous quantities and one of the concerns that we have about these legal decisions is that even if the use of the neonicotinoids were stopped tomorrow we face decades in which this the system will have to purge itself of these poisons this is a massive poisoning of the environment and it's largely escaped scrutiny so these are huge problems. The bees are just the indicator. And the problems that we're seeing with the honeybee, we're seeing because those bees are monitored. There are many other species that are being affected, probably some that have already been lost that we don't even know about by this massive environmental poisoning. What you said is very interesting, Tom. And if you think about what Peter just said a few minutes ago, if they do push through a full ban at some point in the future, which I hope is the case, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes to clean up the environment. Well, this may have already dragged out too long. I, that's the point I'm trying to make is it may already be too late. I think the the pesticide load in the environment is enormous. It's going to take decades for it to dissipate. There's no safe dose and... This is a horrible poisoning of the environment, and on the part of the EPA, a horrible disregard of their obligations under the law to protect the environment and protect the people. This is a much deeper subject, and, it, and I hope that in the ensuing weeks, we have some very close scrutiny of what's been going on here. It's more than just the bees. They're as important as they are to people like me who've spent their lives as beekeepers, the bees are the indicator species. We need to begin paying attention. And I think this victory does say a lot because there's so many people involved with this lawsuit. And once again, the Center for Food Safety does some amazing work. So I really think that this shows a big sign of hope. Tom, we're out of time, but thank you so much for your time, for participating in this lawsuit and for all of your advocacy work. Without people like you, the public would really have no idea of what is going on, especially as it pertains to our food. Well, we've come a long way, but we haven't come nearly far enough. We have much more to do if we're to survive this. Well, I'd like to just say goodbye to the listeners and thank them for tuning in each week. It's important. I've said repeatedly the only power we have is the power of, a pub of public opinion, and we need the public to understand and be involved in this. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion. 
Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with your Organic View Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with your Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.